Well, praise God. It's good to be together this morning. Good to take a few moments and get in the Word. Lord, we just believe that you'll speak to us through your Word this morning. We want to have ears to hear. We want to have our hearts to receive, Lord. Thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, over the past uh, two years or so, we've been introduced to uh, a lot of new words or phrases, or at least uh, the use of them, such as um, social distancing, shuttered, flatten the curve, COVID-19, hydroxychloroquine, super spreader, contract tracing, mail-in voting, remote learning, WFH, work from home, and um, essential and non-essential. Now, when the government can dictate to you what is essential and what is not essential, something is very wrong. And yet it happened here in our own country. Interesting uh, that during this time much of Washington, D.C. was non-essential. I just didn't know it. Essentials, uh, public health, hospitals, no visitors, which was heart-rending in some situations. Law enforcement, uh, emergency management, 911, infrastructure, utilities, energy supply, food processing supply, pharmaceuticals, essential. Communications, agriculture, farm, trash collection, essential. Mail, automotive, laundromats, building supplies, certain retail markets, and grocery stores, and hardware, and some construction. And oh, yes, also essential liquor stores. We lived through that. Non essential. You know, it must be do something to you when you are referred to as non essential, doesn't it? What does it say to you when someone says you're not essential? What you do is not essential, not important. Now, I understand that some changes had to be made. We understand that there were adjustments, there were steps to be taken to try to move us in the right direction to come out of this, this pandemic. Non-essentials, businesses, certain businesses, restaurants, many of them non-essential, some of them closed, never to open again. You could open, but you could not have more than 10 there at the same time to eat. Arbitrary. So much is just arbitrary. No outside gatherings, venues. No beauty salons. No, it's unessential. Though some particular ladies would disagree with that. Gyms, school, church, non-essential. We recall back in those days, and we hope those, those types of days never 
come again here when the church was singled out by our own government, particularly some state governments, was singled out as being non-essential. You are forbidden to meet together. Now think about it. It all seemed rather reasonable at the time because most of us are very conscientious. We don't want to do anything that's going to harm anyone. So as a church, as believers, we want to protect other people and we want to obey the law. And so we, we take steps to try to comply with this. But when you begin to look at this very clearly, you see that there was, there was a deliberate focus on an attack on the church during this time. If people can begin to see church as optional, not important, non-essential, then we have a problem. And even some Christians and churches said that's okay. But we had pastors arrested here in America for having a church service. We had churches shut down by police officers who were just following directions. We had outdoor church gatherings that were closed, particularly in Kentucky. I spent a lot of years in Kentucky, and of course that state went very democratic as far as the as far as the state government's concerned in the last few years, and as a result, I think that's what you saw, that there was such restriction upon the freedom of the people there. Who would have ever thought it would happen here? Because we should be familiar as, as Americans, familiar with the First Amendment the Constitution. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We've got this, this separation of church and state which has been misused over the last couple of decades to try to say that the church needs to mind its own business and stay within its four walls, don't be involved in politics, don't be involved out in the public arena. You don't have a voice. You just need to keep to yourself separation of church and state. Kick you out of the schools, kick you out of any public building, kick you out of that because separation of church and state is in nowhere, nowhere is this the meaning of the First Amendment. This was basically to keep the government out of church, to keep the government from controlling the church, to keep it from being an established government church. And yet, you know, you can take these things and just misuse them and abuse them, and, and if you keep saying them, people begin to believe it. We're told that there is to be freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the right of people to peaceably assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So we know that much of what happened this time was not constitutional. It was unconstitutional. We, as a, as a nation, as a republic, are to be governed by the Constitution, not by the Supreme Court, not by, not by governor, governor's mandates, not by a president's mandates. Mandates are unconstitutional, but somehow we began to buy into that and say, well, that's just the way life is. 
Now, I, I know that we kind of look in the rearview mirror and we see that that's in the past, many of those things. And I pray to God that it is. Thank God that we've come through, I think, the worst of, of that. It may have left some scars, though. I want to submit to you that all of this was never about a health issue. It was never about a disease and pandemic, as horrible as it was. This was political. This was about control. COVID-19 was a terrible, horrible disease. It was and is. But it had a more than 99% survival rate. And yet you would think it was killing half the population. Now, if you lost a loved one, then certainly you're going to see that as a great tragedy. And it is. And it doesn't matter about numbers when that happens or percentages. But people were driven to fear that this epidemic was going to wipe out neighborhoods. And yet it had over a 99% survival rate. Let's just wait till we get the vaccine. Everybody, everybody, everything will be all right. Got the vaccine. Thankful for some good that it did. But people still got it. So you can, you can actually spread this disease and you can actually contract this disease even if you've been vaccinated. So let's just be vaccinated again. Let's get two of them. It might, might do some good. That's okay. But the same thing's true. People who have two vaccinations are still spreading it. Some of them and still are contracting it. So let's get a booster or two. And so there's one step avenue to try to assure people if you'll just do that, everything will be all right and everybody will be safe. It's just simply not science. <laughs> it just simply is not proven to be true. I'm, I'm all for getting help and I'm all for people who choose to, to get medical help and vaccines. And if you feel that it's helped you, that's a wonderful thing. I, I'm not opposed to that at all. I'm opposed to a person being required by the government to get any particular medical treatment. Amen. You know, there's a worse virus. I think the loss of freedom is a worse virus than the disease. And I think that there's another virus that's the worst of all, and that's the virus of sin. It has a 100%, it's, it is 100% fatal. Sin is. But it has a 100% cure. His name is Jesus. The blood of Jesus is a 100% cure for the sin disease. So think about church, essential or non-essential. Essential means it's indispensable. It's all important. It's necessary. So what is the church anyway? And what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word church. Think about it just a moment. What's the first thing you think of? The church you belong to, a building, an organization, name. That's, I think, very typical. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 
And this is, uh, Paul is sending a letter to the church there. Young Timothy is the pastor there. And Paul thinks that he may be delayed in, in, in visiting there and going to the church there. Timothy's pastoring. And he says, so that if I am delayed, I'm writing these things to you so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct or behave themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of truth. This is the church of the living God. A lot of, a lot of places have the name church on their signs or, or on their building. A lot of people refer to certain things as being religion or church. But we understand that there is one. That's a church of the living God. It may be different denominations. But it's the church of the living God. Those who believe the basics of the truth of the Bible. That's the Word of God. The Bible's the Word of God. That, that uh, God is the Creator. That Jesus Christ is, uh, has come to live on earth. To give Himself uh, as a sacrifice for us. That we're saved through His blood and His sacrifice. That uh, he rose again from the dead and that he's returning. Um, church of the living God holds these truths. The word church there uh, in the Greek is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. It's made up of two Greek words, ek, which means out from, and kaleto, which means to call. So it literally means to call out from. Church or ecclesia, with the term that was used here in 1 Timothy, is literally a group or an assembly of people that gathered together in that day. In that particular time, particularly in Rome, it was used about a, a public gathering or a particular a gathering of citizens for a meeting. We're going to have church. They used it, we're going to have ecclesia. Uh, so when so we need to understand that the word here, where church is translated in our New Testament, is a Greek word that simply means the gathering together. The first mention of ecclesia in the Bible is actually in the Old Testament. And we say, well, the Old Testament's Hebrew, that's true. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10, it talks about gatherings. It says, gather the people to me. The Lord says, gather the people to me. The word gather there is the Hebrew word kahal, but its Greek counterpart, you know, Septuagint, is, is is, was the translation of the Hebrew into Greek, translating the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek. And when they translated that Hebrew word into Greek, it was essentially our word ekklesia. It meant the gathering of people for worship. The first mention of ekklesia, church, in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Pick up with me at verse 13, New Living Translation. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, said, You are the Messiah, you are Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. 
And Jesus replied, you are blessed, or favored by God, you are blessed because my Father in heaven revealed this to you. You did not learn it from any human being. Verse 18, now I say to you, you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates or powers of hell will not prevail against it or conquer it. There's a play on words there that's, that's, you know, sometimes you go back and say, well, Jesus, why did you say it that way? Because it's caused like, well, we should understand what it's really saying here. When he said, spoke to Peter and said, these truths that were revealed to you, Peter, were revealed to you by, by the Father. So I say to you, you are Peter. His name literally meant rock. Peter meant rock. It's the word in Greek, Petros. He says, you are Petros. But upon this rock, in the Greek, is a different word. That rock is Petra. When he says, I'll build my church on you, Petros, he's saying, you, Peter, are a small pebble or stone. But upon the rock, like a boulder, a huge stone, upon this foundation, I will build my church. Well, what was he talking about? He wasn't talking about Peter. The Roman Catholic Church believed he was talking about Peter. The church was built upon Peter, the first, you know, and so he was the first pope, and then we go down through the ages. When I see the trappings of the papacy of, the, of much of the Roman Catholic Church, and we have some Roman Catholic friends, and I think there are some who, some who are believers. But nevertheless, the church is a religion. I always had a hard time remembering the old, the old rough, uh, impromptu, sometimes seemed seemingly rude fisherman dressed up as a pope of today. But nevertheless... When, when in this particular verse, it's not talking, it's not saying that Jesus is building a church upon a man, upon Peter. What was it saying? It's saying it's built upon the confession that Peter made. It's built upon what the Father had revealed to Peter. And what was that? The church will be built on what? That you are, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the anointed one, the Son of the living God. It's on that foundation the church will be built. And Jesus is the foundation of the church. He's the builder of the church. In the Koine Greek, ekklesia, now this is important. The word that's used here that's translated church, ekklesia does not ever imply any formal organization. It never applies to a kind of building. And it does not apply or mention any professional hierarchy. So when the church is mentioned here, it's, it's not referring to an organization. It's not referring to a professional hierarchy or staff. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I'm just saying that's not what this is talking about when it mentions ecclesia. And since we have ecclesia, why don't we still call it that? Why don't we call it church? That's what's translated as New Testament. How do we get the name church? Etymology is basically the study of the origin of words. And when you go back and you look at the origin of the word church, you come up with all sorts of things. 
Uh, Kyrios is one of them. The Kyrios means Lord. Kyriake means of the Lord. So we could say that the, this is belonging to the Lord. Kyriaka means house of worship. So it's belonging to the Lord in the house of worship. This was the term used around 300 A.D. But when you go back to the Old English and Scottish and even some Germanic roots to this, you find the word C-I-R-I-C-E, which is pronounced Cirque. And many people believe that this is what eventually became church in our language. There is no word in the Bible that clearly indicate, indicates, there's, not, there's no words in the Bible that clearly indicates many of the things that we mean today when we use the term church. The truth is there's a lot of things in church today that shouldn't be there, that are really not essential. But we've allowed them to creep in through man's traditions We've allowed them to move into the church so that in many ways we don't even recognize the church anymore, I think, as it was originally purposed to be. Church is not about programs. Programs are okay. Church is not about programs. It's about people. The church is not about performance. It's about His presence. It's not about a place, it's about purpose. It's to be spirit-led, Bible-based, mission-oriented. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the last part of that verse says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So, when we have this verse in 1 Timothy, it says, where, where Paul says, I want to write this to you so you can know how, as believers, how the church should behave themselves or conduct themselves. We are to conduct ourselves as the church in the way that we live our lives. We represent Him in the way we live our lives, in, in our marriage, husband, wife, with our children, how we raise our family. We're to represent Him at work, at school. We're to be an example in Christ-like. He says, I'm writing these things so that the church will know how they're to conduct themselves. And, and you should be able to tell the difference between those who are true believers and those aren't by our lifestyle. Now, there are some who are not believers who live, I think, a, a decent lifestyle, morality. But for, certainly, as believers, we should represent Him well in our values and decisions we make and the way we live. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says you're peculiar people. Now, when I was growing up and the word peculiar was used, it usually wasn't a great thing. It says, well, that's peculiar. We said, that's strange. Well, that's really weird, that's strange. And some people think that church folks are strange, peculiar. And I got another word for you. Some church folks are strange. But that was not the original meaning of the word peculiar. Peculiar simply meant special or set aside a particular purpose. You, New Living Translation says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now I know that has reference to Israel, but I think it also has a represent, I think it also represents the church of the living God. That we're to proclaim praises to Him. That we're called out of the darkness into His marvelous light. 
So we're to conduct ourselves as peculiar people, set aside, chosen. We are, secondly, not only are we called out to be different to, in, in, the, in the way we conduct ourselves, but we're called out to be different in the things that we consider. And in, in, uh, we should, we're called out to be different. How can I best say this? By coming to understand the things, why we do the things we do in the church, as part of the church. So, if ecclesia or the church means called out, first of all, it's called out to be different. We are called out to be different as a people of God. Secondly, the church ecclesia is called out to gather together, to gather together. You know, you can go to church and not be the church. But listen, you can't really be the church without gathering. I will say that again. You cannot function as a church, as a believer, without gathering. Can you be a Christian without gathering? Do you have to be a Christian? Uh, do you have to be a? Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No, technically no. We know how you become a Christian. Surrender to Jesus Christ by His grace through faith. Become a believer. But once you become a believer, you become a part of His body, the body of Christ. And a body is made up of many members that are joined together to function properly, to be healthy. So, we would have to say that gathering together is essential for church. Haven't you heard of people that risk losing everything just to get together with other believers? Haven't you heard of people that have traveled, some who walked for miles to stand outside for hours under the threat of persecution, but they did it because it was important for them to gather? Amen. Now, why was that so important? If it's not, if it's not essential, why would people do that? Well, in, most of America, in much of America, we don't do that. If it's too cold, we don't do that. If there's something else to do, we don't do that. If we're not feeling too good, we don't do that. And it, bring, it brings to me the question, and, I, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone here. I'm just looking at the church as believers in general. Why isn't it more important to us today to gather together? That's a huge question. If the Bible says the church gathers together, then in order to function, in order for there to be a healthy church, it's important we need one another. The church is defined by gathering together. You can't get away from it when you study the scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, read with me there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25 says, let us hold fast or hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
Yes, he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir or motivate one another to acts of love and good works. One another, together. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but rather exhorting one another and even much more, do that much more as you see the day of his return approaching. New Living Translation says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another more as the end of the days come. The writer of Hebrews didn't put that there, just a suggestion. This was extremely important. Thank God for the benefits of technology. Thank God for the, the opportunity for many of you that are listening and watching today through Facebook and other media outlets. Thank God for that. And during some of the, the very beginning days of the pandemic, this was a tremendous outlet to reach out for the church, to connect online. You can connect online, but you can't really gather online. So it's valuable, but that's not what the church is about. Technology will never be a substitute for gathering. And yet for some people, the attitude about whether it's important to get together with other believers, is their attitude is simply, that's optional. It's not really necessary. I can watch online. Now think about that. Think about that. There are those who must do that because it's the only way they have to listen, to watch, and be a part of it. That's fine. But think about people who have the opportunity to come and gather in churches all around our area, all around our nation, who just simply choose not to because it's really non-essential together. Which is not true. They say, well, I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you are gathered together here. I'm speaking this to anyone who has ears to hear, that we need to, as believers, understand the importance of being together with one another, being together. There's so many one another verses in the New Testament. Over 15, 16 times it says love one another. It says be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, greet one another, bear one another's burdens, stir one another up, forgive each, uh, forgive each or one another. Teach and admonish one another, and over and over again. Why are there so many one another verses in the New Testament? Because this is about us, not about me, not about you. This is about us. It's about together. As I mentioned before, First Peter chapter four verse ten says, "God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts, so use them well to serve one another." Ephesians four sixteen says. From him the whole body is fit, fit, fitted together perfectly and does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow, that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Folks, we gather to experience his presence. Let me tell you, I, there's so much of my life to we're gathering together and being being together in what we call a church service 
that I could honestly say, I, I, you know, I know that God was there. I know the Holy Spirit lived in me, lived in other believers' lives that were there. I know the Holy Spirit was there. But as far as experiencing the presence of God when people got together, it just wasn't there. It just didn't happen. I'm talking about a manifestation of his presence, a sense of his presence. Every time we get together as believers, we should be aware of and sensitive to and experience his presence. Because if, because that's our source, that's where everything happens. We're together to experience, but we are together to encourage one another. We're living in some dangerous times. We talked about that last week, last days. There are people that are going through difficult times. Some of you have gone through some tragic situations, maybe going through some very, uh, very hard times right now. We need one another. We don't do this thing alone. We need one another. Now, just yesterday, I was talking with, Deb and I were talking, and I think I mentioned this before, uh, not until she came into my life did I pay a whole lot of attention to birds. Now, I, I like birds okay. I never was a bird hunter or anything like that, but that's all right. But she's not a... She's not technically a bird watcher, which they call them birder, birders, and going birding now is not bird watcher. But she has all the little houses out with the feed on it, and then, you know, and then when the hummingbirds come in, we got to feed those, and we got the healthiest birds and squirrels anywhere around. I mean, they, some of them are, I just wonder where they can keep flying. I guess, but we look out the windows and watch them, and I've become kind of a fan of that. I enjoy watching the creation of God here. But also, as tender as her heart is, she gets concerned about them getting too cold. Cold weather. Like other animals. What do they do in extreme cold weather? So she had to go online and look it up. And there's a lot of different things I can't get into because I went back and looked it up too. And it's fascinating to see how God created different creatures. But one of the ways that some birds are able to keep warm in cold weather is they huddle together to conserve energy. You may have seen on a, on a telephone line or on a tree limb or something birds that are side by side, lined up side by side, tied together. And I thought, well, well, I really never thought too much about it. But then I, I saw that that actually was a way that they will come together to gain heat off one another or to stay warm. And they'll jostle uh, their positions from time to time so that the ones that are on the outside that are getting the coldest wind get to move inside and get warm. The creation of God is amazing. But it was important for them to be together in order to protect themselves against the cold. I'm telling you, in this day, in these days, it's important for the people of God to be there for one another and together for the purpose of encouragement and help and helping us to come through some very difficult days. We need each other. We gather to experience His presence. We gather to encourage one another and protect one another. And we gather to edify and equip. When we come together here on Sunday, but not only that time, other times, we should be learning something. If you're open to the Holy Spirit and if you listen, you will learn something. Whether I have very much, many, you know, a whole lot of valuable things to say or not, I'm telling you, if you'll come receptive to the Lord, He will teach you. He will reveal things to you that will be helpful to you if you are willing to be open and learn. 
The Holy Spirit's our teacher. So we come here to be edified, to be strengthened, to be equipped to live our Christian life in victory. It, coming together gives us a level of accountability. There are some things that you will be more apt to do and continue if you've got someone that's kind of holding you accountable, if you know someone's watching you or someone's with you in this. It's like with any exercise or running. If you've got someone that's your partner along with you, you're more apt to stick to it. So it gives us a level of accountability in the church there to edify one another. It's about growing. So it's to experience His presence, it's to encourage one another, and it's to edify and to equip one another. Why would we not want to gather as believers? So we're called, we're called from, or called out of, and called into as believers. We're called out of darkness, called out of the old life, called out of the kingdom of darkness, his, the, the enemy's kingdom, and we're called the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, into freedom, into joy, into this new life. And so if we say that, if we say that ecclesia is to be called from, then we, we are called out finally to go. Called to go. We're called to gather. We're called to go. Because you see, we don't sit here in this building 24 hours a day. We don't sit not here seven days a week. It's not just about being together all the time. When we leave this place, something's going to happen. You know what's going to happen? You're going to scatter. We gather to scatter. You know, when I think of that term gather and scatter, you know one of the first things, now this is silly, but one of the first things that comes to mind to me when I say gather and scatter is Waffle House. <laughs> I know that's peculiar, but the Bible says I'm peculiar as a believer. Waffle House, hash browns. You can get them plain, smothered, covered, onions, melted, cheese, peppers, chili. Mm. Or you can get them scattered. You know what scattered means that you spread them across the grill. And you know, we can't be effective as a church in advancing the kingdom of God if, if we just keep it inside the doors, keep it to ourselves. We're called to take this and go with his presence and go with what he's taught us and go represent him in the kingdom. We're to scatter out to advance the kingdom of God wherever you go. We all go to different places during the week. We all, uh, we all meet different people. We have different opportunities. We gather to scatter. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, and this, this was, you know, it's coming time, end, time, end of his time on earth, and was going to ascend to heaven, but he gave, left a great commission, we refer, that's how we refer to it. He says, go into all the world, go into all the world, scatter, and make disciples, teaching them to observe these things that I've taught you. Disciple them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, remember he said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my, you'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
to, and you will scatter the word. Witnesses to Judea, to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, gathered scatter. Unfortunately, there's some negative side to people scattering. But I think here it's a very positive thing that when we gather and we become who he's called us to be as a church, when we then go out from this place and scatter, then we can affect our home and our community, the area, even the world. So we are called out to go share and to serve and to advance his kingdom. I hope you've learned some things this morning. I hope we've grown. I hope we've been reminded some things as believers. You know, that you and I are called out to be different. And that you and I are called out to gather, to gather, to meet together. It doesn't have to be just a Sunday morning worship. Small groups are important. People that you're with every week, that you're a part of the church, and you edify and encourage one another, and then you go from there to plant that into the lives of other people. I hope we've learned some things from the past couple of years where we'll say we're not going to allow those things to happen again to the church. We're not going to ever, ever, ever allow someone to say, The church is non-essential. But we have to examine and evaluate our own lives and see just how important is the church to us. How important is it to me to be different as a Christ follower and a part of his church? I represent him, represent the church I'm a part of. How important is it to me to get together with believers? Is important enough for me to get up and even when I don't feel like it or there's other things to do or whatever. When I have every opportunity I have, I'm going to get together with other believers. And it is absolutely essential that we take what the Lord does in our lives and what he's given us and we take it to those around us. We can't be the church. if you're, We're not the church if we fail to do that. We have a commission. We have a commission. All too often we get comfortable, even in church settings, because there are certain things that we have started to refer to as church. You gotta have this program, do this, do that, gather at this particular time, go through three songs and and you know, preaching or whatever, and then leave, and then you come back on the next Sunday, and oh folks, it becomes also oh, too routine to us. The church is more than that. And I pray that we as a church will be more than that in the days to come. And that we'll not, you know, I think we love one another. It's good to see people huddle together when they come here on Sundays and your friends and have a chance to talk with them. But when we gather, don't lose sight of the going that there's people around you. Every Sunday when we gather, and you have people that you know well and you enjoy talking to, absolutely, it's important to do. 
But what, what if there's some people that you've never met or some people that have never been through those doors that come in and we're standing there talking to one another and they stand around looking and eventually they just walk around us to come in here. We have an eye beyond ourselves. We have to be sensitive to the fact that we're called. We're called to others. And I know you're that way. I know you have a heart for others. And I thank God for that. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to close out this way. I want to pray together and make a confession together. I want to ask you this morning, have you heard anything this morning that's been helpful to you to remind you of the importance of this church? And has God spoken to you about, about the importance of, uh, of I think, of, of energizing in that area of your life that you have greater energy to, hey, that, this, is, this is a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. Being together with believers is wonderful. I pray that, it, here's it's what the Hebrew writer said, stir up. I pray that we get stirred up about his church. It's an exciting place to be. It's a powerful place to be, but it's not just about a place. It's about that's who we are as people. I believe God's going to do some wonderful things. God, thank you. Thank you for bringing us through some difficult times and even helping us to walk through the, these days. Thank you for the voice of the church and believers through dark times. Thank you for the consistency of your followers who remain faithful. Thank you for the wonderful gift of the church, Jesus, that you gave your life. You love the church. The church is your bride. We wouldn't be much of a family if we couldn't get together. We couldn't be much of a team of one. And we can't truly be your church unless we gather. So, Lord, remind us of how essential this is, how important it is, and let it be a joyous, essential part of our life. And when we gather, Lord, stir us up and equip us to go and scatter to minister your word. So, Father, this morning, our confession is that we believe, Jesus, that you are the head of the church, that you are our foundation. We believe, Jesus, that you purchased us by your blood. We believe that you've established us as a part of your church to advance your kingdom here, even on earth, by influencing other people. And we believe, God, that you've given us gifts, supernatural gifts and abilities to bless others and to help others. And we believe, oh Lord, that you're sending a new wave of worship. You're sending a new wave of anointing. And you're sending a new life to your church in these days. That's what we pray over this place. That's what we receive ourselves now. In Jesus' name.